Well, good morning. It is a joy to sing together, pray together, and uh, hear the Word of God read together. And what an encouragement that is. Me, uh, let me just mention to you, uh, one of our missionaries, Chris Johnson, will be with us this week. He and his family will be staying at the ministry center throughout the week. Uh, and he'll be here Wednesday night uh, sharing um, what's going on in the ministry in Mexico, Oaxaca, uh, Mexico. So you'll want to be here for that. 7 o'clock Wednesday night. I know all the details we forget. 7 o'clock Wednesday night. Uh, we should be able to remember that, right? So what time? What what day? That's pretty good. See, we're, we're all on the same page. Uh, so you want to be here for that, and um, I know it'll be an encouragement to you and be an encouragement to him, and then we'll, uh, we'll uh, go to the Lord in prayer and um, do the things that we normally do on Wednesday night as well. Well, you have your Bibles opened up, uh, I hope, still to the book of Hebrews. We've been going through Hebrews. Um, we've made it to chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. And as you get settled in your place there and um, your pens out and all that kind of thing, let me just uh, offer a quick word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to us through it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, several, well, every year... Uh, I've gotten a phone call since I've been here, somewhere around April, phone call, email, somewhere around April um, or 1st of May concerning uh, collectively getting together with other pastors in the area and meeting in Wales for a, a night of <coughs> celebrating the graduates. Uh, we have a faith-based service. I, I guess that's the best way to describe it. And so we pastors of the church are all sitting on the stage just kind of odd in some ways you know we don't have chairs up here but I'm not judging um, but we all get together and we read scripture and we pray and and everyone does a little something in the in the meeting as we um, try to speak some wisdom to the graduates uh, down at Wales High School graduates uh, and it, it is interesting as I'm sitting up there I'm thinking to myself in my mind because um, well that's just what I do so I'm sitting there thinking to myself how different each one of us up there on that stage, how different we are from each other. I mean, our, our faith, what we believe, the details of what we believe. Now, there's some similarities. I get that. But I mean, there's a lot of difference uh, between us. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying that, as a fact, we even have a Catholic priest uh, in the midst of all that, just to add to the, um, the kind of beef stew um, ecumenical movement that we have going on there. Well... Upon graduation, one member from that group will go and, and speak as a representative of the faith community of this area. We use that word like that, right? Faith community and faith leaders and, and all of that. We know what it means. It means religion, religious affiliate of some sort. And, and so we could say the Muslim faith, the Buddhist faith, or, or the, the atheist no faith faith. Uh, or the Christian faith. We, we look at faith in those terms. I think it's right to see it that way uh, in one way or another. And, but it's sometimes not helpful. But we also use the word faith in the Bible. It's used that way. Peter uses it. Paul uses it. It's used as a collective, uh, a, a collective declaration or a collective body of teaching of the Christian faith. 
And so when he, Paul speaks about the faith to Timothy, to, to the true son in the faith, he's speaking about Christianity as, as the faith, but the whole body of faith, the, the Christian faith, the gospel message, and that which the Lord Jesus has delivered to him. He reminds us uh, again in Timothy 4, 1 Timothy 4, 6, uh, to be nourished on truths of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. And so we see faith collectively, what the Bible teaches and what, uh, what the Word of God has given to us. Peter uses the same thing when he speaks about being alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Very familiar passage of scripture. Speaking about the Christian faith, the the body of what we hold to be true and right and what God has given to us. But you also see, and I think it is more appropriate to see here in the text of Hebrews, what was read for us this morning, uh, going back to chapter number 10, uh, and you can look back at that with me of a personal faith, a personal conviction or a commitment to those truths that we have been taught, the gospel and our commitment to it. He says, beginning in verse 36, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. My righteous one shall live by faith, or as some would say, by his faith quoting back in the book of Habakkuk, uh, chapter number 2. And, and just to refresh your memories, that Habakkuk is a book dealing with the impending judgment of God. He doesn't say when it's going to happen. He just says it's going to happen. Habakkuk is struggling with the realities of those things in front of him that's promised to him. And so what do you do in the midst of that? How do you live life like that? Well, God gives him the answer, and that is he will live by his faith. You want to know what the righteous are to do, what the godly are to do, what the Christian is to do? It's the same command given to us today. You and I are no different. God calls us uh, uh, to live by our faith, to continue on in a personal commitment uh, in the faith uh, that we possess and that we profess. And so he says here in verse number Uh, 38 the righteous one shall live by faith paul uses the same language in romans in romans and in galatians reminding us that the whole heart of the christianity is rooted in faith the salvation justification who we are how we define ourselves all of that all of that is rooted in faith that free gift offered to us uh, to whosoever believed, John three sixteen, speaking about again that that encouragement, that call to faith, and really that is the gospel call, isn't it? Believe over and over to put your faith, put your trust in in this message, and so naturally he's encouraging these readers because that is to mark our life, live by faith. Live by faith. In Galatians, you started by faith. Continue on with faith over and over, uh, bringing us back to that one, one little word, faith. Believe, trust, with such powerful implications. Well, since so much is leaning on this, and, and especially in verse 39 where he says, we're not of those who shrink back. In other words, those who, who uh, doubt and, and walk away from the faith, but those who have faith and persevere their souls, those who continue on the significance of faith and the persevering of their soul. And, and he begins to tell us 
or um, and define for us what faith is. Since it's so important, it's so significant, he lays out what is faith. But we could say faith is simply believing, right? That's, I guess, the simplest term. But believing what? Believing, believing or, or whatever you want. We'll look at that that he says here. Look at verse number one with me as he defines faith for us. I want you to note or, or just make a little point in the back of your mind that th- he's not being exhausted. This is not Webster's Dictionary where he's laying out every possible idea or concept of faith. But he is trying to give us an understanding of faith because he wants us to do what he said in verse 38, live by it, to continue on in it. Uh, and especially to a people who seems to be waffling a little bit in their walk with Christ. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He's using a little bit of parallelism, saying the same thing in a little bit different ways uh, in these two statements. Faith, the assurance of things hoped for, that is the uh, the, the sureness of what we hope or what we anticipate. That's what we can understand, hope. And not like what we, have, what we know in the world, hope as this kind of wishful expectation. He's saying here hope is rooted in the promise of God, in the promises of God. What we, what we are expecting. Now, if you've been to Pastor Ed's class on Wednesday uh, at any point in his discipleship class, and you're free to go, any of you, at 9.15, I think that's right. And uh, he often says our expectations drive our emotions. That's true in this life. You have expectations about life and they're not met. And and so you want to yell at someone or get mad or discouraged or anxious or murder someone, whatever it may be. And so you see all these responses to our expectations. The biblical idea of hope is an expectation that is sure. But don't miss this, that expectation, that hope that is sure is unseen. You have not seen it. In fact, uh, um, Paul says he, you know, in this kind of weird way, in 2 Corinthians, this guy goes into the heavens, he saw things that can't be uttered, can't be, can't be said, and he reminds us that there is, there is a promise, the promises of God given to us, laid out for us in the word of God, which we have yet to see. If you saw it or if you see it, why do you yet hope? There's no need to hope for it. There's no need to exercise faith in this Way. And so there is this, this reality of hope, and what hope produces and what, what gives us hope is this assurance, this belief in it. He says it is faith that is the assurance of those things we anticipate, we expect. He goes on restating this in another way. It is the conviction of the things we have not seen. Someone wants to find conviction is not only knowing truth but and holding on to truth, but having those truth hold on to you. It is grabbing you, those things that are sure and steady and concrete. And, and quite frankly, we live in a society that is dying for lack of conviction. The only thing that we are convicted of or have convictions for is that convictions are ugly and bad because they might go against someone else. He says faith, the, the biblical understanding of faith is that, that rock-solid belief, that conviction of those things we have yet to see. And praise God for that. Because how great would the promises of God be if we've seen them all in this life, right? 
I mean, look around, look at what you've experienced, look at what you see, look on the TV, uh, and all of the joy and the goodness in heaven and all of those things, it, it has to be something we have not seen and we are still waiting on. Otherwise, it is just as miserable condition as the condition we live in now. And it's not, we know the Bible tells us otherwise. And he says, so faith is, is the conviction of those things which we have not seen. But as some have suggested, faith in itself is not a blind faith. It's not something where we just kind of walk off the cliff and whatever we believe, it's just, it's okay. We're left to our imaginations. As we know, society and, um, as we know, society and the rational thinking, or used to be rational thinking, right? They used to be an age, more pleasant than the age we live in now, it seems like, but they looked at the world as, as a machine, as, as robots. We were just creatures, and they were dealing with the substance that they could see. They explained away any supernatural being or any uh, supernatural occurrences all by natural, uh, all by natural reasons. We can find the reason behind it. We just turn over enough rocks, and, and we just look at a few things like this. Well, of course, the world can't operate that way. And so what you have birthed out of that, you have people coming along and saying, well, we don't, I mean, the, we're more than just a machine. We have thoughts and feelings and we have all these things going on that, that science just can't explain to us. And the only answer is, well, we just don't need an answer. Just believe. Just have faith. Have a, have a concept of something beyond yourself, something greater than yourself, some eternal spirit or eternal feeling or or, or some concept of what life's going to be like outside of, of this life or when you die, and all of that is sufficient in itself. There, there, there needs to be no substance. There needs to be no information. There, there needs to be nothing. And, and this kind of expression gives birth to the abstract and the, really, if you want to be honest, the absurdity. And that is, we just believe. But the Bible doesn't tell us that faith in itself as we've already said, needs an object. It needs a subject. And your conviction is only as good as what you are convicted about. You can be sincere about a lot of things. You can be dogmatic about a lot of things. And if we're honest, right, we are. And some of those things, if we're honest, probably are not worth being dogmatic about. Amen? We should say that again, right? <laughs> But he, he tells us that the biblical notion of faith, Christianity, is not like that. It's not like the way we deal with everything else. It is, it is concrete. It is solid because it is an informed, it is a taught, it is an instructed faith. It doesn't matter your earnestness or, your, or, or the, the, the power that you muster up to believe in something. We're not left to our own imaginations. No, we are called uh, to believe we're called to exercise faith, and that faith we exercise, the object we exercise is God himself. Christ and the gospel, it rests upon his nature and his character. It's the promises which he gave us. Even verse number 39 of chapter number 10, he speaks about the preserving of the soul. That's a, that's a promise that God has given us. They will never perish, those who believe. And later on, earlier, he speaks about... Uh, the promise of great reward in verse number 35, over and over, our faith rests in what God has promised, in his character, in his nature. 
I heard this uh, uh, with a couple of men at a conference a few weeks ago, and I found it so fitting a week ago or whatever it was. Uh, I found it so fitting to this subject. The Protestant understanding of faith is seen through three through three lenses. There's three facets to it uh, as we look at faith. One, it is a faith that is instructed. It speaks of the knowledge of faith. We believe in Christ because we've been instructed who Christ is. Uh, we're called to repent of our faith and believe the gospel, not because it's just generally gospel, but because the content of the gospel. We have been taught to some degree what the gospel is, that Jesus came and died and rose again, and he did it all for a purpose to save sinners. And those who repent of their sin will believe uh, in him will never perish. And so you see, our faith must have some kind of premise. It must have instruction. And so there is that need to be taught, to be informed. The second aspect of faith is agreement or affirmation of the truth. It's not like sometimes when you're in a conversation with somebody and people tell you a lot of stuff and you turn around, what would you say? You know, faith is not like that. It's not like just reading up on things that are interesting on the Internet. The gospel, the word of God, the reality of God and his promises and all of that bears upon us and it requires of us to either accept that, assent to that truth, those facts, or reject it wholeheartedly. There's no other way around. It's not a, it's not a take it or leave it kind of attitude or, or just kind of somewhere be in the middle. It demands of us an agreement, an affirmation. It demands of us acknowledgement. But it also calls us the third aspect of it to trust in the gospel message. Not to say, yeah, that's true. I know the Bible says that. What follows that usually when someone says that? I know what the Bible says. And the Bible says this. But the way I like to view things, it's not that they're ignorant. They can read it in black and white. God has raised up men. As even we prayed this morning to translate the Bible, it's the fact that they, they have given witness that they have not agreed to it. They will not accept it. They will not trust. And so we need those aspects of faith. I want to say this, and, and I think it worth saying as you, we look at these verses, that this kind of faith is not natural to us. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 1 that we are given over to darkness. We are living in the absurdity or the futility of our imagination. Man by himself, he may come up to the fact that there is a God, but will never come up to the fact that there is this God, the, the true and living God. And so it's important as we speak about believing in God and God being the object of our faith to, to consider how do we come to this understanding to believe. And I would say first and foremost, it is a miracle of God himself. You see that in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 when that the, the ungodly are blinded by the devil. Turn with me over there and look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Beginning in verse number 2. He says this, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. That's manipulation. Uh, 
as it were. We refuse to practice cunning or tampering with God's word. That, that, that's, that's just, that's gross. We see that, that kind of work that he's saying that, that people's just kind of forming things to make it appealing or, or, or change it up to make it whatever it is. Uh, and that is an abuse of God's word. And that really is an act of hate to your neighbor. To manipulate, to grossly manipulate people with religion, with God, is an act of hatred. It's an act of blasphemy. I think we've seen that in the news in our local state here recently. You can look that up for yourselves. But he says, we've renounced these practices in God's word, uh, tampering with God's word, but by the open statement of truth. What is he saying? We gave the knowledge, we gave the, the truth, the statements of fact we gave them what the word of god says we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of god and he goes on if our gospel is veiled it is veiled to those who are perishing in their case the god of this world that's the devil satan has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory light of the gospel of the glory of god who is the image of god if you just stopped right there you would think what's well, just hopeless Let's just stop missions and just wait until Jesus comes back. It's all over, right? After all, all those who are perishing in this current state and the language that he's talking to, I mean, they're blinded by Satan. Who can overcome Satan? Who can come overcome the natural inclinations of unbelief against God and, and the manipulation or the, the twisting of God into something else? Well, he goes on in verse number five. For what we proclaim, the method is, is the preaching of the gospel, it is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans chapter 1, right, is the power of God unto salvation. What Paul proclaims, the gospel. He says, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse number 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Now, where do you find that? Genesis 1, right? Hebrew writer even picks that up in verse number 3 of Hebrews 11. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that, that where there was nothing. No life, no matter, nothing, right? That's what you see in Genesis 1, God. And he says, let there be light. The power of his word and the exercise of his will out of nothing is everything that we see. And he says, this same God, that same powerful word has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What overcomes the darkness in your heart? What overcame the darkness in my heart? It is the power, the word of God. There's no other hope. There's no other informing us, no other work in us that can do what God can do with his word. And would at least, church, it ought to remind us that the means we use is the means which God blesses and works through. Right? And so we see here this exhortation. He's saying that in your hearts, God is shown and given the light of the glory of God. He overcomes darkness with light. Even after the Reformation, one of the mottos was more light, more light. The Reformers worked themselves to death, preaching every day of the week, sometimes twice a day, giving the light of the glory of God in a dark society. And maybe we should recapture some of that zeal because God overcomes the darkness of our unbelief through the power of his word. That's what Romans says, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. 
It is that word of God which informs us, which teaches us, which shows us, which causes, stirs in us and and reminds us to hope. It is the fact that it is God's word which gives us confidence to have conviction that that hope is sure. Because the writers already told us in Hebrews and we see in Titus and, and the Old Testament that God cannot lie. What he has promised, what he has said is sure and true and right and he doesn't change his mind. It doesn't change his mind. I hate that about myself. Sometimes I, I want to do something and I change my mind five times before I, even, before I even get it wrote down. Well, God doesn't have to go to have his word edited. He doesn't take it to editors and have it chopped up and, and cut out and all of that stuff. I did a dissertation and I had to do that quite a bit when I did that. Some of the men here helped me. Humbly, I accepted their help. But God doesn't have to do that. And he's telling a bunch of people and that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews who are struggling in their walk. And he's telling them, don't you understand this faith is conviction of really what God has said, what you've set your hope in. And it is sure and it is steadfast and it is sustaining. It will sustain you. He will sustain you. Not faith itself as, as some some undefinable object but the or some definable thing but the object of our faith the power of the christian faith isn't faith itself it's the christ with whom we believe it's the one we've been joined to it's god himself who upholds us and strengthens us it is as jesus said in the prayer in the sermon on the mount my father who art in heaven you see he's telling these people that faith is that conviction of what we cannot see. Because we live in a moment where all we have is what we can see. And all of that tempts us, pushes and pulls at us to, to undo or at least distort what we can't see, what we have been promised. And so you go through life and trials and, and situations and, and you see cruelty and hatred. You feel cruelty. You feel hatred both as, a, as an attack against you, and if we're honest, you know, we can be honest sometimes, we, we give it to others. I know that's a far stretch, but still. And, and in all of that, it presses against the promises of God. Is it really something out there? Is my loved ones who've gone on before me, that, are they really in heaven? Is, is God's promises really true? Am I really forgiven? And the substance to all of that is rooted here in his word, which informs us. And not just because it's a, a word on a page in a book that we bought at a bookstore. Best-selling book, though. Not just because of that but because of the God who upholds that. Because we've already read Christ is that substitutionary atonement and he is our high priest and he is standing for us and there's strength at the throne of grace. And all of these things is meant to bring us back to that concrete conviction of our faith. Even as we look down in, in chapter number 11 and we find ourselves, verse number 3 continuing to encourage us in the things which we do not see, he, he brings us back to creation itself. He says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made was not made out of things that are visible. How do we understand these things? Well, he says it's by faith. 
It's by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God. Now for us in our society, that would be a hard, that's a far stretch, isn't it? And I'm just looking out to you here today, and there's probably a, a several different opinions about that. And maybe I agree with that. Some of you are probably, yes, absolutely I agree with that. And the rest of you are like, some of you probably saying, I don't agree with that at all. That's nice. It's a good thought. But we know science. We have all this stuff. And he says, no, he comes and brings us back to the reality that his readers would have understood clearly. It was not a far stretch for them to believe that Genesis 1 meant that God created out of nothing everything. Though it may be for us. Well, the Bible tells us in Psalms we read in Psalms 19 that uh, the heavens we see out the world and its declaration, the beauty of God's creation. Uh, Just several um, thoughts. He says it, it declares the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. Day unto day pours out speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. You know, bringing us back to the reality that creation itself is testifying to the goodness and the existence and the faithfulness and the power of God. Creation itself. I was thinking about one uh, quote I read by an astrophysicist. I can't hardly even spell astrophysicist, but anyway. Some of you can't either, so let's be honest. He says, at this moment, it seemed as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith, and what faith is the scientist lived by? His reasoning, his presupposition that there is no God, and the reality that, uh, that everything happened all by itself, by cosmic accident, those things like that, the power of his reason. I continue the quote. The story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the, mountain of, the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak, and he pulls himself over the final rock, and he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. What is he saying? He's saying science in and of itself will never come to the true answer, and if they were honest with what they found, they would climb, to the, climb over the last rock of their own ignorance and find theologians, basically find people who just believe the Bible been there all along God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth God created all of this that we see in that sense we we can't even understand the world and the way it works without faith in God not properly not appropriately but notice with me verse number three again as he describes this He says, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And he's not speaking here of John chapter number uh, one, where he speaks about the logos, the word of God, and all things were made by him. Here he's speaking about God's word, God's speech. He had already mentioned Christ being the creator of all things in chapter number one. But here he's, he's reminding us of the power of God's word, its effectiveness. Uh, What God said took place. Everything came out of nothing, as we've already mentioned in the very beginning. And going back to that, the word of God supporting and sustaining us and forming our faith, and forming our faith, helping us grasp those things which are invisible. Look at the end of the verse. 
so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are invisible. And this is true for you and me. We are encouraged and strengthened in our faith through the word of God to be convinced and convicted, to be assured of those things which it promises us, which you and I have not seen. That's what hope is. And that's what he's telling these people. What you have promised and what God has promised to you is in front of you. You can't see it. I know that. I'm thankful for the ways in which God has informed us about, about those things which are ahead of us, heaven and all the other things like that. But you do not see it yet. But on the way, God has not left you just kind of limping along. He's giving you his word, which is powerful and effective and not only giving you, building faith, but it is sustaining you and sustaining your faith by the power of his word. And I would just encourage you and and me and, and all of us this morning, just the, the power and effectiveness of the word of God in this life as we walk as weary pilgrims. You can take God at his word. How many of you believe that this morning? Well, let me just say secondly, and not only does he speak about a faith that is defined in these terms, but he speaks about a faith that is displayed. Verse number two, he says, For it... Speaking of faith, the people of old receive their commendation or approval or testimony uh, to that regard. And, and really that, that will be fleshed out in the rest of the chapter. He goes from one Old Testament saint to another Old Testament saint over and over reminding us that what is so significant that he highlights is not that they were, they were rigorously and effectively in keeping the law to the 10th degree. We know that. Even the examples that he gives us are lawbreakers. And in, in, in many ways, we see their faults and failures. What he's saying as he points to them and, and pointing to these New Testament Christians, points to us that as we look at these Old Testament saints, what, what brought about God's pleasure in them, what brought about their, their justification, their righteousness, was by faith. It was always by faith. It's never been by your works. Now, that's not a New Testament teaching. He, he's saying here and revealing here that it is by faith. Paul picks that up. Abraham justified by faith, not by works. But not only did they receive their approval, it shows over and over that the faith in which they possess is the faith in which they, they show, they demonstrate. And just by way of quick um, illustration, he gives to us that of Abel. Offering a better sacrifice, Abel's act of worship uh, to God, accepted by God, Cain's rejected, Abel being a martyr uh, for his righteous sacrifice, accepted by God. What was so significant about it? Well, he offered it up. It was through faith. It was his faith. Verse number five, not only in worship, but we see it in our walk. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him up. And before he was taken, he was commended having pleased God. I heard one preacher say one time it was worth, uh, he said they were out walking one day and they were a lot closer to God's house than they were Enix and he said, just come on, you can go to my house tonight. Now I know it probably didn't happen that way, but what does it say about him that his whole walk was one that pleased God because he walked believing God, trusting God, resting in God 
You see that with Noah and his work by Noah being warned by God concerning the events unseen and events fear constructed in an ark for the saving of his household, 120 years laboring on an ark under the threat of rain, which he had never seen before in his life. But it's going to rain, Noah. And Noah preached and built and worked, and he done it all by faith. Reminding us that our faith is not just in, in it's not just a claim or a proclamation of a truth. It is the very thing that grasps us. It directs our life. It is a, a living faith. It is active and enduring. It hopes. It encourages. It, it directs us. It corrects us all along the way. All along the way. We are believers. And so we act like believers. We live trusting, believing his word and, and walking in fellowship with him. And that's what you see here. And that's what he's encouraging this church to do. Not only to understand faith and, and it's rooted in God, but that it, we are to display that in our lives. Well, this morning there's more we could say to that, but I think that's a good place to, to end. I want us to look uh, next week, Lord willing, verse number 6, and the pleasure of faith or the delight of faith, and that is found in God himself. I want to encourage you uh, as, we, as we close today to be encouraged. What we believe is not in just an ancient book. It's really, really old. We come to these promises given to us in Scripture. Our anticipation of eternity, our acceptance before God is rooted in God himself and the promises he gave us. I was reminded of a, um, a prayer I'd read once of a, um, I don't know, a Syrian or some 7th century B.C. A guy was uh, unearthed. It was a prayer to every god, you know, to the gods I know and the gods I don't know. And so the whole prayer was like, I prayed to this God I know and the, and the goddess I don't know. And this God, he had evidently made someone mad and he wasn't quite sure who it was. And that's kind of funny in some ways, but it's sad because that was his belief. That was his belief. He, he concludes the futility of this, this kind of religion by saying mankind is perverted and has no judgment. Of all men who are alive, who knows anything? They do not know whether they do good or evil. God does not call us to believe in belief. Have faith in faith, but he calls us to believe in him. To trust him. Not to trust in yourself. Not to trust in, in ultimately in your governor or your society or your president. I know that would go a long way in this crowd, but it tells us not to trust in humanity. In fact, not to even boast in our own abilities, but rather put our faith and trust in God. We can do that because God is not silent. He has spoken to us. He has revealed himself to us so that what we hope for, what we anticipate, we can with assurance. We can with conviction. And if you don't know Christ this morning, that's the offer of the gospel. To lay aside your own doing, your own working, your own efforts, your own self-righteousness to lay it all aside because deep down in the reality each of us in some way or another know that it's not enough we can either ignore God nor the, the reality of life and death and all that other stuff we do a good job about that 
or, or we can come to the, to the grips, the terms of it, that we need someone, something outside of ourselves to sustain us, to save us, to, to give us some kind of hope because all hope is gone. And that hope and all of that that's going on is given to us through Jesus Christ who became like us so that we might know God. And not only became like us so we might know him, but invites us to him through his death and resurrection. That if you would forsake your sin, turn away from your own, your own self-doing, and turn to the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you should have everlasting life. You will have the conviction of hope that the scripture teaches about. You would be reminded of what it means to, to, be, to have that confidence in the things unseen. Because of the faith in Christ, in God, in his provision of the things that we hope for, he's promised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that we gather together. Thank you for this day that you've given us. And I know even as we look at this chapter, it speaks for itself. Yet we gather together this morning to look at it and to draw from it some encouragement and strength. And I pray that your spirit has done that in each of our lives as this body of Christ. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to let us meditate on these thoughts, mold us through this, and, and encourage us by your word. Strengthen us and, and help us as we walk this life to be convinced of what you have said, to be informed of what you have said, and be convinced of it. And then, Lord, gladly and joyfully submit ourselves to it in obedience. Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.